We began our, our series in the book of Exodus um, really by establishing that this is the story of God revealing himself to his people. And we've seen that as we've studied the book. We've seen this God, our God, is a God who knows the suffering of his people. He knows their struggle. He knew their slavery in Egypt. He heard their cries and he came down to save them. Not only did he know them and, and long to save them, but he displayed his awesome power and ability to deliver his people from evil. He delivered them from their slavery to Egypt, protected them as he judged the nation of Egypt and brought them out by his power. And then faithfully, he provides and he protects for his people in the wilderness. This God is the God that we remember as we, we come now to the next stage in the journey. A stopping point a Mount Sinai. Israel spends almost a whole year there. And it's there that this God that we've been learning about, this God who rescues his people, makes a covenant with Israel. A covenant was a treaty or an agreement made between a, a king and a nation or a people that were under his authority. And the terms of the covenant would set out what was expected of those under the king. God, as Israel's Lord and deliverer, offers here the terms of his covenant, his perfect law at Mount Sinai. And we're going to talk more about God's law next week in chapter 20 as God gives the ten words and he goes on speaking to Moses and, and giving many more laws that explain his righteousness and his holiness. Today we're going to focus as we come before the mountain of God on Mount Sinai to look at two characteristics about our God, the lawgiver and king. These things, this view of God that we have shapes the way that we look at his law, we look at his salvation, we look at everything about life. We see, first of all, that his ways are righteous. And we'll talk more about that when we look at the law, that he is the standard of righteousness and goodness and truth. In Exodus 19, he calls for his people to listen to him and obey. Because he is their king. His ways are righteous and his ways are holy and pure. We look at the story, the sight of God 
was awesome and it was devastating. The author of Hebrews looks back on this moment in time and he writes that the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 21. And we find that that the people, though they were able to come before the mountain of God, were not to even set one foot upon that mountain. So we see the righteousness and the holiness of our God. And it can raise many questions in our lives. Questions like, how do we understand God's covenant? How can we as finite, sinful people approach a holy God? What does all of this mean for you and I today? Is it that we do our best to keep the law and consecrate ourselves often enough that somehow perhaps God will let us close to him? Is that what this this is teaching us? Is it that we should just give up any thought of ever coming close to this holy God? Is he's too holy? No. Exodus chapter 19 reveals another way, the only way. And we see this carry forward throughout the scriptures. Exodus 19 reveals to us a righteous and a holy God who comes down to meet with his people. Yes, he comes in awesome splendor and the people must keep their distance. They cannot approach him in their sin. But the good news is that God has provided a way for us to enter into his presence through the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. We want to consider these things as we work through the text. The righteousness and holiness of God and the way that God has provided that we might enter his presence He came down to save us, to to not only save us, but to sanctify us, to make us holy, to make us his own people. So we praise the Lord for these things. Begin reading in Exodus 19, verse 1. Exodus 19, verse 1 says, On the third new moon... That is, on the third month after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. And we'll stop there at verse 2, having read verse 2. We know little about Mount Sinai. We don't even know for sure its location. We know there's a traditional location and there have been other places that have been suggested for this mountain. But this mountain was the very mountain where God had spoken to Moses from a burning bush. We, we read, or we read rather in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, God said to Moses, 
when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And now, here on that very mountain, God makes a covenant with his people to listen to him and to obey. And when we recognize that this is God again and again and again being faithful to his promises, that here he has kept his word yet again to Moses, we're reminded that this is a God we can trust and obey, that this is a God we should listen to, that we should follow, that we should love with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's continue reading in verse 3. Now Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses goes up to God, and God reaches down. He calls out to Moses and tells Moses what to say to the people. Before anything else, God wants the people to remember what he has done. He tells Moses, you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings, how I protected you and carried you and brought you to Myself. For anything else, God wants you and I to know what he has done. To know the salvation that he has brought. How he came to save us. To take us out of the kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom. How he initiated in his love for us to make a way. For people to come to him. How often do we remember what God has done for us before we go about trying to do his will? How often do we remember how good he has been? God wants us to remember, wants us to think about how he has saved us. You see, that's the foundation upon which he can go on and he will go on to call his people to obey. It's on the foundation of his love and his salvation and his grace that he now makes a covenant with the people. He says, if you will listen to me and obey, you will be my treasured possession. 
kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's a, a wonderful promise to reflect on. It's our memory verse for this month. If you follow my ways, my perfect law, if you listen to me, God says, I will choose you out of all the peoples. I will make you my special people. I will give you value and a purpose. God uses the image of a treasured possession to show the value of those who are his, those who love him. Treasured possession is a treasure chosen out of all the rest. The king owns the land and the people and has all of the treasures of the land. He may choose out of that whatever he should have to put in his throne room, to wear around his neck, because he's the king. God, who says, I own the whole world he says uh, all the earth is mine is saying that he will take those that follow him they will be they'll be like a jewel on his crown a, a prized possession out of all that he has he values that person who listens to his voice he loves them And he also gives to his people a purpose. A purpose to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That is to, to represent him. To offer praises to him. To be set apart for him. Belong to him. Not the world. Israel. We know from the very beginning the children of Abraham were to be a blessing, God said, to all the nations. A light to those around them, showing them the righteousness of God. Now that's a high calling that God calls his people to. There's something very important within this text that we, we need to listen to. God says you will be my treasured possession if you will obey me. You, you, you must listen to God. What God is saying is that you can't come before me King of kings, any old way that you choose. I am righteous, and I am rightfully Lord of all the earth. And those who listen to me and love me, they will know me as one who treasures them, as one who gives them a purpose. God calls his people to obedience. If we were to sum up, God's covenant here, in a nutshell, would be obey me and I will bless you. What do we do with this? 
Well, we'll come back to that question in a moment, but let's continue in verse 7. Moses comes, he goes down the mountain, and he talks to the elders of the people. Verse 7, Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words the Lord had commanded them. He told them this very thing that we've been considering. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So the people agree to obey God. They say, yes, we'll listen to you. Yeah, you're our king. And they promise all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That's quite a lot to promise. They don't know quite yet what God is going to to say to them. But that's what they did. They said they would obey. You know, before God comes to declare his law to the people, and we will talk about that next week in chapter 20, before God comes to reveal and shed light on what it is that he's calling them to obey, how he's calling them to live, he now comes and he sets out some ground rules. This is what God says to Moses when he went up on a mountain a second time. In verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up, to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman regarding marital relations. And we will stop there. God is coming on the third day to meet his people. And he tells them to get ready. Because he is a holy God. His purity sets him apart from everyone and everything. And so scripture teaches that because God is holy, we too must be consecrated or made holy in order to belong to or to be close to God. And these outward signs of washing the clothes and abstaining from marital relations that we hear about and the not touching the mountain, these were intended by God to be a sign of their respect for him 
and his holiness. They showed that the people were willing to listen to God. It's the first step here. Don't go up the mountain to find me. That's not the way to come to God. And so they consecrate themselves and they get ready. But even the people's consecration did not give them the right to come before God any way that they chose. Israel stood as close to God as any nation ever has. And yet they were not allowed upon the mountain. God had set boundaries they were not to cross. It's passages that like this that remind us how awesome God is. How important it's It is that we shouldn't underestimate God or treat him as though he was just like us. God is holy. He is pure and good and true in every way. It's not to be approached in any way that we should choose. We can only come before God on his terms. And so the chapter continues, and we see on the third day, on the morning of the third day, verse 16, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, well, well, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. But the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is where our chapter division is in the scriptures. God will go on to speak the people on the third day God descended to that mountaintop and his glory appeared like a storm of cloud and fire with thunders and lightnings and the mountain was trembling the sound of a trumpet pierced the air I don't know 
what comes into your minds when you picture this scene or if you find it hard because there's so much going on. But it's a terrifying description. And we, we shouldn't downplay that when we're reading what God declares. I mean, Moses thought they had it covered. He's like, well, you already said set limits. But God knows the hearts of men, and he wanted to warn Moses yet again. Make sure the people don't break through. Make sure they know what will happen. So I am a holy God. It's the kind of sight that causes you to realize you don't want to be going against this God if you took this seriously. You know, we don't usually think of God in these kinds of terms. Not anywhere close in our popular culture. And often not in, our, in the church today either. I certainly know in my own heart, I'd like to think of God as a little less terrifying and holy. But these are God's terms. Because he wants us to know, us today as well as the people of Israel in those times, he wants you and I to know how pure and good he is. That he's completely pure and good in every dimension of who he is. This is God's righteousness, his holiness on display now what when we're faced with the holiness of God how can we possibly approach him how can we possibly please him is it by our consecration just to do enough things to try and be holy and to be uh, better than than the next guy in the pew? Is it by doing our best to follow God's law? After all, we know God wants us to obey Him. Do we just... approach Him that way? The Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans that by works of the law, no human being will be justified in, in God's sight. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. And in verse 19, the very verse before, it says that this is so that, that the whole world might stand accountable before God. Whether under the law or not, all are guilty before his holiness and his righteous standards. The law, the law's purpose was not to bring us near to God. The law's purpose was to show the righteous ways of God. That we are to walk in calls us to obey Him. 
but rather the law shows how far short we fall of the glory of God. And this is the point that that Paul goes on to make in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. But the problem is not with the law. We would like to blame the law and just say, well, get rid of it. I don't like God's standards. But the law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. It shows us God's righteousness. The problem is not with the law, it's with our law breaking. It's that we have all fallen short, no matter how diligently we seek to rely on the law or to try to approach God in our own righteousness. Nothing we can do can ever make us right with God. God is completely holy, and we all have broken his law. But there is great hope. The prophet Jeremiah prophesied of a new covenant, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, which they broke. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Scripture tells us that this new covenant is made reality through the blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, slain for the sins of the world. That Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, even obeying his father to the point of death on a cross. And now by faith in him, the law is written on the tablet of our hearts. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, there's that 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I think, should have written it down. And we're justified, Scripture tells us, made right with God. And sanctified, that is being made holy, like our Lord Jesus Christ. All of this through Jesus. Peter tells us in 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 9, that those who love Christ are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Recognize where those words come from. A chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. They come from the words of God's covenant on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, where he said that his people would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a treasured possession, 
belonging to him. And Peter applies this promise to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus came down to bring us to himself. As he is the fulfillment of all of God's righteous commands so that we unrighteous people might enter into his presence and become a holy people for his name. Isn't that amazing? To know that though we could never approach God with our own righteousness, we could never approach God on our own terms, but God himself came and dwelt among men. The disciples saw his glory, and he came so that those who believe in him might have the right John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 13, 12 and 13, to become children of God. That is to be a part of his own family, adopted into his kingdom. Belonging to the kingdom of this righteous and holy God. I want to close with this challenge to us. I challenge us to consider how highly we think of, of God. How highly do you think of, of him? Your Lord, your King. Do you even consider him as such? Do you see him as righteous and holy to the degree that no one on this planet not even the greatest saint could stand before him in all of his glory. What is your mental picture of God? How would you describe him to your friend, to your family, your co-workers? Do you see how terrifying it is to rebel against such a pure and good king. It's easy to become casual about coming before a holy God. But the truth is that we are all like Israel before Mount Sinai, apart from Christ. And it is in Him, in Him alone, that we approach God. Enter into his presence today. When you think of God, remember that his ways are righteous and holy. And the way back to him is through faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ.